Please open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21. Now, as you know, as you're studying the scriptures been with us, we've the Palm Sunday is about the Jesus' triumphal entry. It's recorded in four places. Here, Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 11. The second one is in Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 11. Luke 19, verses 28 through 44. And John chapter 12, verses 12 through 19. Why do I say that? Because each of the Gospels gives a little bit of information on this same occurrence or account. And you need to take a look at that. What I will do is only going to take uh, out of Matthew chapter 21, but I will reference to in certain key things so that you can understand where I'm getting my information from. As you know, I will give you the scripture to back everything that is being taught. At this point in the journey of uh, the start of the ministry, the start of this triumphal entry of Jesus coming in this last week of what we refer to as Holy Week or Passion Week, because now Jesus is coming to the end of his ministry of three years, and we're finding this last week is the most important for all of us because it gives us eternal life based on what we're about to learn this week. That's why it's important you're here today, that you listen on Wednesday night, because I'll capture the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday occurrences, and into Saturday, but especially on Sunday, we will capture, obviously, Resurrection Sunday. And it's the most important event and week of your life. Now, you may not think that. Now, you may not say that to your bride. <laughs> that may not, you may not say that when you, about your birth of your child, but let me assure you, as a born-again believer, this is the most important week of your life, because it's your eternal life that I'm talking about. In the part we find here, we see in this scripture, in John chapter 12, verse 1, where we see that Jesus is now arrives six days before Passover, and he arrives in a town called Bethany. Why Bethany? Well, that is where Mary and Martha and Lazarus lives. And the big event just took place in that place where God raised, Jesus raised Lazarus up from the dead, if you remember. In that Saturday moment where he arrives, he, we see in the scripture that Martha and Mary prepares the meal for him that evening. And Jesus has a meal with them in their home. While Lazarus sits there and fellowships with him. And after the meal, we see the second thing that is important. That Martha served the meal and served Jesus. While Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard. And anointed Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, if you remember. That happens because he's just now just had this very long journey from the Galilean area down here. And those things are very important as we go through the rest of the week on these sequential events. Because it's prophesied that he would arrive on the sixth day prior to Passover. Now, I'm not going into a whole lot of detail of that because if we could be here for a few hours, which I'm okay with, your seats are not. So we're going to just take enough of what your seat can endure and just take this one portion. That's why I encourage you to come back on Wednesday and next Sunday. Today, we're, now it's Sunday and it's day one of this week of the triumphal entry, the welcoming, the welcome the king into Jerusalem. I'm going to give you what took place on this day and we're going to go through the scripture. Jesus was on the donkey going down from Bethany over the Mount of Olives, down through the Kidron Valley, comes up to the Temple Mount and goes into the temple. That takes place in a very macro look. We're going to go into a little more details of that and the importance of that. 
At the end of the day, we see the scripture says they were tired. Can you imagine? It's been a long day. We see in the scripture that he then gets on and they take that two-mile walk back down the Kidron Valley, over the Mount of Olives to Bethany again. That's a two-mile hike from the Temple Mount. That all takes place. Where was he going back to? Where were the disciples him going back to? More than likely back to the house of Martha, Mary, and Lazarus there in Bethany. This is where we're going to pick up here. Follow along with me as I read Matthew chapter 21 verses 1 through 11. And we will take a few of the key verses for you to understand. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphanage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet. There's a key word. This is a prophecy being fulfilled. What was that prophecy? Zechariah. That's the prophet that he's referring to here. And says in verse 5, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, a foal, of a donkey, we see that in Zacharias, uh, Zechariah 9 9 is where you see that reference of that, what is being spoken here. So, verse 6 So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them, and set him, Jesus, on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Verse 9. Then the multitudes who went before those who followed cried out. What did they cry out? Saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. That once part of the scripture there is from Psalm 118 verse 26. Verse 10, and when he had come to, into Jerusalem, all the city was moved. All the city was moved. Not just a few that were witnessing that he's on a donkey coming down from the Mount of Olives down into the Kidron Valley and back. Not just those who just happened to be at the right place at the right time. It's like, a, it's like when you see a, you know, a parade and you plant yourself in the little town, the village, and you're right there. And all you see in the part of the parade is just, and everyone celebrates just what they see. No, the scripture tells us all the city was moved saying, who is this. Why is that significant? We're going to talk about that. And lastly, verse 11, so the multitude said, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. So we start this Palm Sunday to draw us to seek God. We come here on a Sunday to seek God. We get in and we open up the scripture. We talk, we pray to God to seek God. This Passion Week, this Palm Sunday is the start of a very important event because it speaks of the welcoming the king, our high priest, our savior, Jesus Christ, the Messiah that God talked about in the Old Testament. His is now being fulfilled in the life of Jesus. And it's all you know, comes to a head here this week with the not only the Passover, but the crucifixion and then the resurrection. Very, very important week. Most people in this world, when you think and say, what's Palm Sunday or what's, what's Resurrection Sunday, most people will give you a glare and look, what are you talking about here? Are you talking about Easter? No, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not talking about Easter. I'm not talking bunnies and I'm not talking eggs. That is not scriptural. I'm talking about our Savior, the High King, our most King of Kings and Lord of Lords, who came to die for you to have eternal life. How much more important can that be? Because if you don't get that settled in your mind that 
Your eternal life is based upon the event of what Jesus has done. Then you must seek about your relationship with God. Because if that is not the most prominent thought every day, the fact that you're saved and that you're going to heaven and that this is not our home, but a vacation gone really bad and is getting worse and you can't wait to go home? <laughs> My brothers and sisters, you got to get your mind out of the world and out of that news feed and whatever other feed you're feeding on and get into the word of God and feed on it. Because if you're not thinking rightly, man, you're going squirrely on me, and you need help. And that's why you're here. Amen? Okay, we're done. No, here we go. So when you take a look at Palm Sunday, it is a reminding of our king is coming. He has come. And this is the events coming here. And we see that the Savior throughout this week is leading to this resurrection Sunday that we talked about. In Luke 24, verse 44, Jesus said to them, these are the words which I have spoken to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. All of that was concerning who? Jesus. How many people say, I don't read the Old Testament? Then you're, you're not, you don't know the scripture because it speaks of Jesus. And all of what? The law, the five first books. It speaks of Jesus in the prophets and the Psalms. It, the entire Old Testament speaks of our Savior that's coming, the Messiah. So you don't want to avoid the Old Testament. That's why we go through all 66 books. Because we want you the whole counsel of God. We want to see what God was talking and watching how it fulfilled. And that gives us a, just a tremendous hope and promise of what is the future for us. Because it's a guarantee for us. Right? It's a guarantee. We know where our home is. We know who we're going to be with. We have absolute security. Let me give you some, for you analytics type people. Take a note of this. On March 16th, 445 B.C., a decree was granted to Nehemiah to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. Where do you see that? In Daniel chapter 9, verse 25. You wouldn't know that if you don't read the Old Testament called the book of Daniel. That's 483 years, which is important because it's the 70-week prophecy that is spoken of there. You times that by 360 days, which is the Jewish calendar. Keep that in mind. You come out to 173,880 days from that decree stated that the Messiah would come six days prior to that Passover. And guess what day that was? April 6, 32 A.D. Six days before Passover, Jesus came in triumphantly and they welcomed Jesus there on the donkey coming into exactly to the day that God said would happen. And you question the word of God in your life. The word is solid, man. You may not be solid questioning the word of God. The world will question the word of God. Even those who profess, say, they're Christians and they're pastors and reverends and all the other titles and whatever they call themselves, they question the word of God. But let me assure you, I do not question the word of God. I know, there's no question in my mind, that the word of God is true. Do you? If you've been feeding on the word of God, you know that the spirit of God has been working in and through your life, and there is no question that the word of God is true. The whole word of God. Not just the pieces you like. 
<laughs> Not just the pieces you like, but the whole word of God. His triumphal entry prior to the Passover came riding in on this donkey and it was prophesied. Psalm Sunday begins the Passion Week to celebrate the Resurrection Sunday and it is this day that we must remember. And we must celebrate this day because Jesus entered in Jerusalem as king, as the prince of peace. And they welcomed the king. Oh, they welcomed the king. We just read it here in Matthew 21. That on this day we see that Jesus rode on a donkey into the town of Jerusalem. And a loud, large crowd gathered around him and laid palm branches down. Oh, pastor, you didn't say palm branches. Where do you get that? You just said cut branches. Well, that's why you must go back and read John chapter 12, verse 13. That tells us the type of branches that they cut. That's where you get the palm branches. And their clothes were laid on the ground. They were laid on the donkey. They were sitting there. They were treating them like royalty. Because that's what a king would do. They would come in. If he was coming in as in, in peace, they would ride in on a donkey. If they were coming in as war, they came in on a what? A horse. They came in on a horse because they were coming in to reign. And everyone knew what that meant. So Jesus made it very simple and very clear to the people. I'm coming in, but I'm coming as a peace. Not to cause war with Rome or anyone else. But remember, while this is a triumphal entry, it is Jesus' first step to what? His death. We celebrate, and these people are celebrating, yes, and they're fanning him like he's a king, he's putting their clothes down as the donkey walks over in the palm branches. Oh, our king is here, he's here to save us. Because the mindset of the people was about the here and now and not prophecy of the eternal. They were looking for a king to take over and bring freedom to them from the Roman captivity and others, the Gentile world of, that was ruling over them. They wanted freedom. So they were looking for a savior in a form of a king. No different than today, right? Every presidential election, every kind of election, we're looking for someone to save us from. No one's going to save you except Jesus is the only one that's going to save you. The world's not going to save you. So, Jesus' first step toward death was here at this day. We see in Matthew 21.4 tells us that this took place to fulfill what was spoken of by the prophet Zechariah. And it says Jesus had become somewhat a celebrity among the people. Why? Because he was healing people, raising Lazarus from the dead. I mean, there was an amazing display of God's power in and through this man, this prophet named Jesus. And everyone was hearing it from it, from Galilee all the way down through. And that started bringing a following with him. And as he was doing these miracles and everything else, people were just chasing the miracles. Because he was feeding the five thousands and the thousands upon thousands and all these things, people started following because they were seeing what they could get from his life. And because when you take a look at the miracles and the power working in and through his life and people being fed and all their needs and people who couldn't even walk now, the lame is now standing. And it caused him to say, we want him to lead us. This is the person we want to follow. But they didn't really fully understand who they were saying they wanted to follow. Are you with me? They didn't understand it. They just knew what they saw visually, but by faith they didn't understand. And on that continuing those steps of Palm Sunday, we begin this Passion Week. We can constantly see and are reminding of the significance and the value of what this week means to our lives personally. 
For them, they thought, oh, they had a new king that was coming. This king would take over and would rule and we would just follow him. But that's not what Jesus' plan was. Yes, an important historical day. Yes, fulfilled prophecy, even though those people didn't understand it. But Jesus began his journey toward the cross of Calvary. These same people who were saying, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, will soon be saying what? Crucify him. Crucify him. See how fickle people can be when they, they just live their lives based on emotion. Based on sight, living by sight and not by faith. They will go from hot to cold, the highs to low so fast, your head would spin. It was less than a week. He's going to be our king. Kill him. Oh, I love you. I hate you. Oh, I'm all for this. I absolutely despise. I should never... That tells you where your heart is. It's not stable. You do not have a stable life. Because it's not grounded on the truth and the foundation. And you have to get there. You have to spiritually mature. As we've been studying in the book of James, you must spiritually mature, my brothers and sisters. So that's not speaking of you, these highs and lows and these emotional shifts and unstable and uncertainty. You must get in the word of God and allow the spirit of God to transform your lives and your minds. That's how you're going to get mentally stable. So how you're going to emotionally be stable. It's how your soul will be at peace, at peace in your life. Yet maybe in the midst of all this change, and all these uncertain times that we live in, may we keep our prayers and planning about the Resurrection Sunday moment. That we do not want to miss or be distracted this week from the real meaning of this week, and especially when it comes to the full, the full story on Resurrection Sunday. Don't get distracted by the things that the world will tell you to focus on next Sunday. Because you were traditionally raised a certain way, doing certain activities, and oh, so cute, and the pictures are so perfect, I know. But don't let your children, and especially you as a parents, be distracted from what Resurrection Sunday is all about. New life. Eternal life. His word reveals such great truths. Every part of the story, truths that are drawn us closer towards Christ, is reminding us that he alone is king. Is he king of your life? Do you welcome the king into your life? Do you let him rule and reign over your life? Or do you think you can just decide whatever you want to do? you got to get that settled or you're going to be unstable as a Christian. We see that there's five things here that we read in chapter 11 or that Palm Sunday day that reminds us that Christ is king. The first one was in verse 5 of chapter 21, I should say. And the verse 5 says, Jesus chose to ride on a donkey, which directly fulfilled the Old Testament prophecy that we talked about in Zechariah 9.9 in biblical times. But it, it's a common thing, as we say, about the kings and the importance and the arrivals of that riding on a donkey and the symbolism of peace. It resembled and understood, communicated that this peace that he was coming, this is not something to cause war and upheaval within the community. Zechariah 9.9, if you haven't read it recently, I'll read it from you. It's from the Old Testament, of course. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation. Where does salvation come from? 
Right there. It tells you in Zechariah 9.9. Lowly, humbly, riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So it was very clear what was going to happen. And he gave us the exact date it would happen. And all of it happened as said by Four occurrences, four different people. The Holy Spirit showed, revealed. We took Matthew's account today. The second thing we see is in verse 8. God's word tells us the people cut branches, palm branches. We see out of John 12, 13. And they waved them in the air, laid them on the ground before Jesus as he rode into the city. These palm branches represents goodness. It represented victory. It represented a symbolic of a final victory. Why would they use palm branches on final victory? Because he was coming into Jerusalem. This, this, they thought this was the final deal, that he was going to somehow overthrow the government, that they would finally have political freedom and independence from this, 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 this terrible government that is suppressing them. But the people wanted it now. They wanted it that day. They wanted him to come in right then. And they were all just waiting for the trigger to happen. Just tell us. We'll take up arms. We'll tell, just let us know. We'll start storming the castle. But that never happened. What he did is he came in to fulfill and bring victory over what? Death. This represented victory over death. We see that where? 1 Corinthians 15.55 Oh death, where is your victory? Oh death, where is your sting? Jesus was saying, I'm coming not to come be politically overthrow. I'm not here to give you some new freedoms to live your life however you want to in this world. I'm coming to conquer death because if it wasn't for me, you would be sent to hell. Because you have chosen hell because of your rebellion against God. You decided and that is where you'll be. What is hell? The separation from God for eternity. You want to know what the definition of hell is? It's being separated from all things that represents and who God is. Any goodness, any light, anything of value. Complete darkness, which is opposite of living light. So, God the Father sent his son Jesus Christ to come on a mission. And that mission was, there are so many missions that people wanted him to do. The mission of healing. The mission of raising people from the dead. The mission to, to give them food. The mission of taking care and provide shelters. And There's a lot of people who want Jesus for a certain mission from him. But you and I understand the scripture. The mission was to give us the ability to have eternal life. Do you have eternal life? Do you have the Spirit of God living within you as a born-again believer? Your spirit is alive, is it? I do hope so. Because God has made a way for you to have eternal life. But you have to turn your life over to Him and receive the free gift of what? Of that salvation. Who is that salvation? Jesus. We just, told, we just read in Zechariah 9.9 that he is salvation. That he is just. We sang. We lifted our voices up and said he was our what? Our ransom, our pardon. Did you believe that? In verse 9, we see that when the people shouted Hosanna, they were Hailing Christ as king. That word actually means save now. That's what that word, Hosanna, save now, save now. That's exactly their mindset. That was their mission. They wanted to save us through this political and, and physical sense. This, this in being in poverty and, and, and just this emptiness. that They wanted someone to represent them. Nothing new, right, in, their, in the Jewish nation? 
God said, follow me. And what do those people turn at one point in their life? And then we see in the scripture, we want a king like everybody else around us. Same mindset. But we see here that Hosanna saved now, though in their minds, they wanted this earthly king now. God, in a different mindset, a different way, brings true salvation to all who trust or believe in Jesus Christ as their Savior. We see what? In Psalm 118.26, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Romans 10.9, that if you confess with your mouth that the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. How are you saved? Believe that Jesus Christ is raised from the dead. Do you believe that? If you really believe that, then he is your Lord, he is your king, and you live for him each day. The Bible says that Jesus wept over Jerusalem. We see that in Luke account, Luke 19, verses 41 through 42. It says, now as he drew near, he saw the city and he wept over it, saying, if you had known, even you, especially in this day, the things that make for your peace, but now they're hidden from your eyes. In the midst of all the praising going on, the midst of all the celebration, oh, save now, King, oh, Jesus, you've, you're going to help us here. Thank someone. God, you, someone's coming to help us. But Jesus, as he's coming down and looking at the multitudes, what does he do? He weeps because he realizes they, they don't know what they ask. They don't know what they're asking. They're only looking to see what they can get. But Jesus knew these same people would turn their backs on him and betray him and crucify him. And his heart was broken with the reality of how much they needed a savior. It's true. If you're a parent and you're watching your kids just literally run for the world, it breaks every single heart of a, of a parent watching their kids go in the wrong direction. I can say that even as a grandparent now, right? To watch your grandkids not... Believe what you believe. That they're choosing the world, they're choosing the flesh, they're choosing their selfish ways is to live after their self. And they're miserable. And you have the answer. And you want to tell them, let me tell you about my Savior. And he can be your Savior too. Let me tell you that he died on the cross for your sins. And on the third day, he rose from the dead. And anyone who believes in who Jesus and the fact that he is alive and is willing to forgive your sins if you're willing to surrender your life, we call it repenting. Repent from your sins, your selfish ways. And he'll forgive you and set you free. And give you eternal hope. Do you believe that my brothers and sisters? Can you honestly sit here today. And as you're sitting in your mind. Can you say I absolutely believe that with all my heart and soul and strength. If you do you're saved. That is why Jesus wept because. As he looked over the multitude, it, it pains the heart of the messenger to look over and know that some do.
do not believe. That some who are listening to my voice right now do not believe. As much as I try and allow God to work through my life to communicate a simple message of hope to you, you're still not willing to hold on to that hope because you want what you want and how you want it. You're not willing to surrender. But I know, without a shadow of a doubt, if he can save a wretched man like me over 26 years ago, I know God will save you if you'll just surrender your life. The scripture says he knocks at the door of every single heart. I know he's knocked a few times on some people's hearts here. He's just not willing to open up the door and let him in. But I can tell you right now, if you take that step of faith and open up your heart, he will come in. And like with Martha and Mary and Lazarus, he'll dine with you. He'll, he'll be with you and never leave you nor forsake you for eternity. That I know. We also see that Palm Sunday reminds us that the reign of Christ is far greater than anything the mind of man could ever conceive or plan. Man looked for someone to fight their battles. To look at the present world and say, what can I get out of this present world and make my own little kingdom in this world? And how can I bring all this this goodness of what we call religion into my world and create my own little utopia kind of moments. And when you take a look at that mindset, yet God had an ultimate plan that is very different than what you planned. That the best job with the best title, with the best money, with the best home, with the best place, the best location, and the gated community, and the best car, and the best, uh, best body that you've been able to create, it's only all temporary. <laughs> Take it from some of us who've been in those good places, and the, now we see that, like, you know, the body does wear out. They're temporary tents. It used to bother me when I was young. Once I got saved, you know, it no longer bothered me. You know why? Because I knew I was going to get my ultimate perfect body in due time. That is not corruptible. It's perfect. and has ability and capability that I do not have today, and that is to go from point A to point B in a twinkling of an eye. My new body, your new body, will pass through a wall. Read the scriptures. I can't wait for that time. Can you? It's a miracle that I can even get up from the chair some days. Especially after doing some work. Some of these young guys. <laughs> the knees are not quite like they used to. All that volleyball years. Woo, all that training I did for years. It's caught up to me now. Anyway, let's move on. John 11, verse 25 says, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. We have so much to be grateful for this week. Why? Because the enemy knows that, and you can bet, he's not happy if you celebrate and even tell anyone about Jesus and the Messiah, the, the welcome the King into the lives and what God is doing in and through your life. That, especially with this Passion Week and the celebration of Resurrection Sunday, the enemy's going to come after you. Why? Because he doesn't want you to tell anyone the good news. No one about the gospel, even your children, will stop you from telling your children of that because he doesn't want your children to know him and to make a decision for him. 
And it's this Passion Week that may God direct our thoughts and direct our steps and an attention and our prayers toward the matters and the matters that's most. And that is Jesus Christ is our King and Savior. Let us choose to be worshipers. My brothers and sisters, you know if you've been here long enough, we never ask you to do anything. The only thing we ask you to do is to worship God with us. Because I know if you become worshipers, then you will do what God is going to show you what to do. We don't ask you to give. Why? Because God's not broke. God provides. We want you to worship to learn how to be a worshiper of God. We want you to know the word of God because it will transform the way you think away from selfishness to loving and serving God and others. It's the byproduct. It's a fruit of spending time as a worshiper. That's my encouragement to all of you. This week that you would set more time aside in your home daily worshiping God individually and as a family. Worship God. How do you do that? Pray together. Yes, sing a song together. You want to add? Yeah, absolutely. But focus your attention on who Jesus is and what does he mean to you. And talk about Jesus. Talk about what he's doing in your life. Talk about what you're reading in the scriptures. Talk about what it means to be saved. Talk about, learn something new of what it means, what heaven's going to be like. Focus your attention on that, and you'll be amazed. Cut out the news. Cut out all that other stuff that will bombard against you. Just take a step of faith here and worship. Become more worshipers of God. Not a Sunday. Not a CEO Christmas, Easter, and other special occasions. Not, you're not a CEO. Not here. You're a worshiper seven days a week, 365 days a year. Amen? And let's finish with this with here because one of the key things you have to understand is 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 15. It says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. What gift is the indescribable gift that he's offered to you? The gift of grace. That gift is salvation. We finish here in Matthew 21, verses 12 through 17. I'm adding this on because... Many times people will question and, and a lot of, you know, a little confusion sometimes if you only read just Matthew and not all four gospel occasions. But let me read this. Verse 12, then Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all of those who, brought, who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Verse 14, then the blind and the lamb came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and scribes, religious leaders, hello, saw the wonderful things that he did. They were wonderful things, even they acknowledge, right? And the children crying out in the temple, even the children were crying out on this, Hosanna to the son of David, that they were indignant. What does indignant mean? Angry, not happy. Verse 16, and he said to him, they said to him, Jesus, do you hear what these these, what these, 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 these people are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes. Have you never read? Oh, isn't that beautiful how Jesus is always uses the scripture? Have you, it is written, it is written, it is written. Have you not read? Have you not read? Have you not read? Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have perfected praise. Where, did he, where is he quoting from? Psalm chapter 8, verse 2. And verse 17, then he left them and went out of the city to Bethany, and he lodged there. 
Now, I read this verses 12 through 17 because when you read the other three accounts in the other Gospels, they talk about the fact this took place on Monday, not Sunday. Here, as you just read through the scripture and go from verse 11 right into verse 12, you think it happened the same day. But if you look at the other accounts, every kind of leans toward the fact that it happened on Monday. Meaning he went back to Bethany that next morning when he came into Monday, then he walked into the temple. That's when he was not a happy, righteous anger and he started flipping tables. Why? Because they had gone from this place that's supposed to be a place where people can focus on talking with God. Prayer, a place where they could come and settle their hearts before God and seek after Him and talk to Him. It was just some big commercial place to make money and do wheeling and dealing and taking advantage of the God's people. That cannot happen. It couldn't happen then, and it can't happen in a church. You cannot use a church as a some platform for commercialism to make money. That is not what the church is for. That is not what the fellowship is for. And I am thankful that it does not happen here at Calvary Chapel, North Country. Yes, we can have a little bookstore to help provide you and equip you with good, solid, biblical teaching things for you to learn. But it's not commercializing to make some organization wealthy. That is, it doesn't happen here. Jesus did not like it there either. And he flipped the tables. Why? Because he understood that it took the people away from the focus of the most important, and that is to praise and honor and glorify God in his holy name. So he cleansed the temple. Probably happened on that Monday. And then he returned with his disciples back to Bethany. You can go back to Mark chapter 11, verses 11 through 16 for that. But we know that when Jesus entered the temple and he had this righteous anger and it, and it was directed toward the character of the temple. He was angry at the character of what they created, that place of where people could gather together in his name because that's what God had had at that time was to come to the temple. He said, you've changed what the purpose of the temple was for and you've now made it a den of thieves. People just taking advantage of people. People trying to commercialize and get advantage of taking and make money off of this. And it was the religious leaders who had all the responsibility for that because they were not happy because they were the ones benefiting from that. That just can't happen. And Jesus made sure. This is the second time that he went into the temple and cleanse that temple. If you remember the start of his ministry, he did it in John chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. And now at the end of his ministry, he's coming right back through and saying, I started this way, and guess what I'm going to end with this way? Reminding you, this, this place has to be cleansed. This sin has got to go. But you know what else we see in the scripture we just read? Not only cleanse the temple, but do you notice what else happened? Is that we see that a blind and the lame came into the temple. It's the only place that this fact is noted is in the Gospel of Matthew that that took place. That the lame and the blind came in the temple. Why is that important? Because they were not allowed to come in the temple. The religious leaders would not allow the lame and the blind to come into the temple to seek after God and Jesus says not in my kingdom not in my place anyone can come into the temple and they understood that and the blind and the lamb came in to meet Jesus in that place 
There was no boundaries of who can or cannot come. And I say the same thing. I don't care who you are. You can come to this place to seek and to receive what Jesus has for you. Wherever you find yourself, spiritually lame, spiritually blind, you need to come here to know who Jesus is. You physically hurt, you physically, Jesus has come to me, come to the elders, let them anoint you with oil so that by faith, God may heal you. There should be no limitation. The only people that can't stay are those who don't want to come to know Jesus. They're wolves. Those, I have no problem removing the wolves. But those who earnestly come in seeking after Jesus are welcome. But that's Jesus' authority. Everything changes with Jesus. Religion doesn't change a thing, but a relationship with Jesus changes everything. Amen? So the question I leave with you. Have you received this indescribable gift of salvation in your life? Ask the question, yes or no. There's no maybe. Maybe means no. Your yes is your yes, your no is your no. Do you know without a question in your mind that you remember the day of your salvation when Jesus removed that 100-pound gorilla off of shame and guilt off your shoulders and you were changed? A born-again experience means you're changed. Don't, don't be deceived. You're, there was a change in your life. And then ask the second question. If you've been changed, you're born again, what is your purpose of life and what is the pleasure of your life? Is it for to please God or is it to please yourself? I just ask you to ask that question. Absolutely be honest with yourself. And if it's to please yourself, you need to repent. Because you are your king is Jesus, who gives you salvation, eternal salvation. And he is your master, and he gets to di dictate and tell you what to do and not to do. And lastly, do you welcome the king into your life today? Do you welcome every day the king to come in and reign over your life? Oh, I hope so. I really do hope so.